0: Uh, So this morning, yeah, we're starting a new series, Going Deeper in Prayer, and uh, the title this morning, I don't know how long this series is, by the way, um, but the title this morning is Our Father, Our Father. So I I can only start it with a little bit of personal experience. Um, So it's a big topic. No doubt, prayer fills me with incredible hope. I'll start with that. Uh, But at the same time, I'm not going to say I do it always immensely well. Confession over. Um, uh, On the one hand, I know a lot of hope and encouragement. Uh, I know a lot of impact. No question. Um, On the other hand, I know I struggle to find the time. I really struggle to concentrate. My mind is always in a billion places. And... uh, Yeah, struggle is a good word. Um, But I'm not going to say I struggle to feel like I get somewhere. I absolutely know I have got somewhere with prayer. I know that. Um, Talk to my wife as well. Uh, Friends I've shared, maybe life group. I don't know. I I have evidence of changed circumstances. And I frame my view of prayer on on a quote um, by William Temple. Uh, He says, when I pray coincidences happen when I don't they don't and uh, that's probably not strong enough that is my experience of prayer and it it frames my thinking somewhat Um, coincidences I'll sit down with you afterwards this isn't the time or the sermon for that Uh, personally I will I will give them to you and you can try and you you will see the coincidences you know, uh, you know. okay, I, one example, even this week, I re- you know, you read of the news of the terror attack in London. Uh, I remember standing here, we prayed. Uh, I've prayed personally, we've prayed in our life group. And I thank God for his mercy that in a tube full of school children on their way to school, that that bomb did not go off properly. I thank God for his mercy there. Yeah, there was terror and trauma, but we can only give thanks to God for his mercy And keep praying for our country. So, uh, yeah, Billy Graham, reflections on his life. Still alive now. Most important, influential preacher of the 20th century. Spiritual advisor to more presidents. Uh, He's he's been in that office longer than many any president. Um, A humble man in some ways. If you read interviews on his reflections on his life, regrets. Yeah, he'll talk about them. More time with family. Bit more focused in his engagements, in his relationships, not flitting around from country to country in a few days, reading scripture, quote unquote, more time in prayer. Not just for myself, but others. Prayer shapes the outcomes of our lives, yet we still struggle. So, okay, question's going to come up here. I want you to just think in your own minds or talk to the person next to you. What words would you use to describe uh, your experiences of prayer? Can you share them with someone next to you or just think of them uh, if you're sitting next to Any words? Go on. Whisper something to the person next to you. Is anyone going to say something out loud, any word that they would describe their experience? I've been honest with you guys, so you've got to help me out and be honest. Say it louder. Silence. Silence. Okay, that's good. Anyone else? Hap-hazard. Sorry? Hap-hazard. Haphazard, yeah? Anything else? Confession time? Pushing through distraction. Pushing through distraction. That's your pastor speaking. <laughs> Anyone else? Talking with, my Talking with my friend. It's a positive experience. So Timothy Keller has a book, Prayer. Prayer. And uh, actually, you can pick this up on the you Bible version. If It's a free devotional you can do. It's about two weeks long. I highly recommend you look on your Bible app on your phone. Uh, you know, if you're on the tube, bus, way to work, and you've got five minutes, just read that each morning. Honestly, brilliant. Uh, just to focus you and make you think. And then don't forget to pray afterwards. Uh, He explains two different experiences of prayer from the Psalms. The Psalms are very much prayers. They were written uh, by the Psalmists for the temple, for the worship. They were dedicated to prayer and worship and things in the temple. Um, So my words, two aspects of prayer. Uh, You can find this on the Bible app and in this book. Psalm 27, 63, 84, 131, 146-50, 146-50, to 50, depict the writer full of thankfulness, moving to praise, worship for a God who not only intervenes, but gives the psalmist some sense of really deep satisfaction. Really deep. Wherever he's at in his life, helps. A God who intervenes, very, very powerful when you read them, to see the experience the psalmist is having. It would be great if we had that experience every morning. On the other hand, it doesn't, it's not just one side. It's Psalm 10, 13, 39, 42, 43, 88. Full of complaints. Cries for help. Calls for God to stop holding back his power. Why doesn't he do something? There is no question there is a struggle there, a fight against silence. We had the word silence. There is absolutely that call into the silence. So, next question, because I'm making you do some work this morning. (laughs) Help me out. Uh, What word do you start your prayers with? What's the first word, or one of the most common things you would say as you start to pray? Is anyone going to dare to say that to me? Or I'll pick on someone, like in class. (laughs) Yeah, yeah? Father. Father. 10 out of 10. Okay. (laughs) Anyone else? Lord, thank you. you. I didn't get them all. Yeah? Sorry? Okay. So... I did some canvassing for you in case that you've given me great answers thank you um, I actually uh, I did go through my, my week and kind of canvass a few people I, I was talking to an extended family member um, and I, I asked them just, oh by the way Messiah or Jesus they said uh, their neighbour yeah I canvassed the neighbour says Holy Father they're Catholic um, a friend says, Lord. My wife said something similar. Sorry, I'm going to pick up And then, And then uh, I would got home from work. It's a bit crazy. Uh, dinner's on. She's sorting the kids out. I'm just recovering from work, having a cup of tea or something. And then, then everything kicks off at home. And she turns to me and she goes, but sometimes I just say help. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> that's probably because she has to deal with me standing there in the middle of chaos. But, um, so, I came with someone else who's not a church girl. This person has not been to church since he was forced to do so at school. And I have a, a conversation with him uh, about prayer. Someone who I really respect, really good friend. I uh, love this guy. Uh, last year, he was given the all-clear and recovered from cancer. And uh, he knows, perhaps what it is to need supernatural help more than I do. I said to him and he he laughed at me and looked at me with a smile and he says, help, (laughs) help. I'm going to follow up with him next week. Often the answer, though, is one of the names of God. We speak the name of God because we want to identify who we speak with. And Pastor Max Lucado has a book, author of Before Our Men. I'd love to say I've read all these books, but not all of them. Um, The Power of a Simple Prayer, Before Our Men. That's his book. He says this, the the first word you say is the most important aspect of any prayer. The first word you say is the most important aspect of any prayer. Uh, I think... Uh, if we talk about prayer, my experience is very wrapped up in that. Uh, it rang very true. Uh, in the middle of a busy week and stress, yeah, I get stressed, um, people problems, technical problems, maybe in the beauty of a really amazing morning run, fresh autumn morning, crisp, uh, just great to get out. Maybe it's a walk uh, and the sun's out. Maybe a moment when I read some news on my smartphone and see distress. Maybe a time when I'm driving home from a really fun evening or been out with some friends. I just had a really great time social. I personally find the great power in speaking the name of the Father. Speaking his name. It gives me a a great sense of strength and encouragement, I challenge you to try it, you probably do, I hope you do, try this week to speak his name, to speak the name, the name you're most comfortable with. It is absolutely the simplest prayer of all, speaking his name with reverence, and for me a deep desire to connect with something far bigger than my circumstance far bigger than this earth we speak their name to get attention in an attempt to relate and perhaps get a response do we dare think that prayer is directed at God because prayer is rooted in our relationship with God prayer is rooted in our relationship with God let's look at a scripture um The model of prayer that Jesus taught is recorded twice. Uh, I smile because it's in short form for busy people like me in Luke. And then there's the proper long form in Matthew. So if you're really busy, go to Luke. Um, I'll read from Luke and then I'll skip to, to Matthew. Luke 11, 1 and 2. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us how to pray. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Matthew 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans because they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, your name. The essence of prayer that Jesus taught started with a connection to the Father, speaking his name with a deep sense of worship, this word hallowed. When Jesus' disciples say, Jesus, how do we go deeper In prayer, how do we go deeper? He says, speak the name of the Father. Understand who you are speaking to. Prayer is a response to God's call for relationship. We are in relationship to the Father through the Son, by his Holy Spirit. John Piper says this. Why the word Father? Why does he specifically use that word? This is John Piper. The pattern that you find almost uniformly, remember it's almost, throughout the New Testament, is to pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You pray to the Father because God is calling you into relationship with Him. And prayer is a response to that relationship. If we turn to the first few hundred words of our Bible, and you open it up, it's clear how man pursues his own path. We all do it. He willfully ignores God's command. And suddenly in Genesis 3 you hear this call of God. And God says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? It is not man calling to God. Scripture starts with God calling to man. He calls to man. A man hides, ashamed of who he is, of what he's done, Blatantly disregarding what God asked him to do. And the story of Scripture is of God calling you into relationship with Him. Even before you speak His name, He has called to you, Where are you? Where are you? Will you hide or will you respond? Peter Kreef, professor of theology at Boston College, he says, if other religions are the stories of man's search for God, the Bible is the story of God's search for man, God's search for you. And as you open Scripture and read through Genesis, we won't do that. We don't have time. I'll pick on a small thing, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... God speaks this promise as he unveils why he's calling man. He speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12 of a renewed relationship, a journey with him through the course of his life that will change Abraham's life. A journey away from what Abraham knows, to leave the city physically. And he says he is to find new promises And new blessings that will not just impact him, they will impact his family, all those around him. And the call is the strand that goes through Scripture. Galatians 3.18, Paul explicitly connects that exact promise that God is calling you to a renewed relationship where you find new promises, new blessings that will impact you, impact the people around you, and impact the world. And the men of God, through Genesis, these great patriarchs, become known uh, for marking their journey through life, not by the great things they do, but if you look, they mark the places in their life and the times in their life by these moments where they step aside and call to God. They hear his promise. He has called them. And they call and speak back to him. Is the mark of their lives. I'll show you. Genesis 12.8. Abraham built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. 13.3 and 4. He went from place to place until he came to where his tent had been earlier. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Genesis 18, and Abraham, he's seeing catastrophe unfold before him, a destruction of a city, and Abraham drew near. He drew near to speak with God. Isaac, twenty six twenty five. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. These men mark the moment by stepping aside and speaking with God. Jacob's interesting, because Jacob doesn't do anything simply. Uh, You can read his story if you have time. He's the heir of the promise. He knows the promise. But he fights. He spends his life wrestling and trying to prevail over his circumstances, fighting them Cheating, wrestling, trying to get the promise through cheating in some cases. And ultimately, Jacob gets to a place in his life, in, uh, later in Genesis, I think he's 32, and uh, he is confronted by this big tangled mess he's made where he cheats his brother, uh, wrestling through all these situations, and suddenly he's in a physical place where he's confronted with his past, And he knows that that the whole of his future is going to unfold tomorrow. And he stops. And he takes this time to mark the moment. He doesn't know. It's out of his control by this point. It catches up with him. And uh, he has this night where he wrestles with God. Uh, It says of him, He struggled with God and with men and has overcome He took, finally, all of what he had, all the baggage, and he dealt with God one-on-one. He stepped aside. He took and marked the moment. And his testimony at the end of his life was this. "I I will build an altar to God who answered me in my day of distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. A recognition that God was with him, that God held his complete destiny in his hands. He marked the moment and understood the revelation God had that he holds your personal destiny in his hands and you need to connect, we need to connect to understand our destiny in the context of of our relationship with God. My wife has been really good at home, and we've been trying really hard these last few years to mark some of the moments in our lives. Uh, it's, it's a struggle, yeah. Um, in terms of practically speaking, three years ago, just under, under three years, our kids all moved school. Two years on, they moved school again. Two of them moved school. We've had lots of change I know Steve spoke last week about change. And uh, the moment you lock one thing down, things happened in the last few weeks for me where something else changed. Just things always changing. Our, our destiny and practically changes course constantly. You can't control everything. Um, and we've had moments where we have marked the time by uh, stopping on the doorstep. Our son leaves for his first day of secondary school. And in a snatched moment... We stop and pray, recognizing that as his father, I can control so much of his destiny to a point. And now he leaves the house, and I don't know what's going to happen in his first day of secondary school. My daughter at college, traveling down on the train for 45 minutes or something. And I love to show to my kids that they are part of a far, far bigger picture, beyond my control. And I want to introduce them to a God who has incredible plans and promises that I am constantly looking for and having to come back to, and also take them to, marking the moments in our lives where we relate to God. Matthew seven eleven, such a simple verse, I hope you know it. You should. If you then, who are evil, me as a dad, I'm not always right, but I know how to give good gifts to my children. Scripture says you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more then will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who love him? So much I desire the good thing for my kid that day as they walk out the door. How much more does God desire good gifts to you who ask? Prayer is a response to God's call for relationship with a father who loves to give good gifts to those who ask. In relating to us, like his promise to Abraham. He wants us to find new promises and blessings that not just impact us, but impact everyone around us. But if there's this enmity with God in Genesis 1, this gap as Adam hides and knows some distance, he is fearful. We understand, and Mike read that scripture this morning. He didn't know I was going to read it. The New Testament makes your position... As you speak God's name, very, very clear, you need do nothing but speak His name and receive unconditional acceptance, grace and mercy. Absolutely unconditional. Hebrews 4:14 4, to 16. "Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If we're going deeper with prayer, we need to understand that as we speak the name of the Father, we speak it based in the confidence. Of God's unconditional acceptance. Paul speaks of adoption as sons and daughters. Speak his name and absorb that position. Prayer to the Father is in the name of the Son. Because you can relate to God as a father without fear because of what Christ has done. That is the story of the cross and his resurrection. The favour and love of a heavenly father who knows what we need before we ask. Matthew 6 verse 8. And delights to give us what we need. Matthew 7 10. I'll read it again. The favour and love of a heavenly Father who knows what we need before we ask. Matthew 6, 8. And delights to give us what we need. 7, verse 11. Prayer. If the band want to come back, I'm literally wrapping up now. Prayer is an invitation. It's an invitation to a relationship with a really awesome God. An intimate God. I wouldn't say prayer is hard because it's complicated. It's probably hard because I'm really busy and distracted. Doing everything I have to do and worry about. All on my own. Pushing ahead and striving to control my circumstance through my own energies. Billy Graham talks about prayer. Is this. He says, heaven is full of answers to prayer, which no one ever bothered to ask. Heaven is full of answers to prayer, for which no one bothered to ask. I don't think going deeper means we need to climb higher, a higher ladder. Greater courage to dive from a higher diving board. I hope you see that there's no barrier. We've broken down any wall that separates us from diving deep into that pool of water that's on the slide backdrop. Knowing my position before God through Christ means I can directly and confidently approach God. I'm going to finish with Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew 6. Um, It reminds us of the simplicity of prayer because we're dealing with a father who already knows what we need. It says this, and, and I'll read it full in a minute. When the disciples asked Jesus the secret to unlocking prayer, deeper prayer, when the disciples asked him that question, Jesus says, remember, it's your father you are dealing with so you can pray very simply. This is the message version. Eugene Peterson's translation of the message, Matthew 6. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, paddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows Better than you, what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply, like this. And he says the Lord's Prayer.